John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Again, if you don't have your Bibles, you can use the Version app. If you don't have that, obviously we have our screens, the, the TVs, to help assist you there so you can follow along because it's good to see the Word. It's one thing to just hear it. Um, you know, I can't wait till we're able to go to getting this stuff on the Internet live and uh, even recorded uh, video-wise because it's something else when you're able to see something. We all know that. But um, I want to start here in John chapter 17 in verse 6. And you know how I am. I always like to give you a backdrop on what's taking place. And this is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. And this is the prayer right before he's about to go to the cross. He's getting ready to endure the greatest hardship in his life. He's getting ready to go through the greatest torment and pain he's ever endured in his life. And this is what he is praying to his father before all this takes place. Okay, we just had the Last Supper. His disciples are over off. They're supposed to be praying with him, and we all know they all fell asleep, couldn't keep it up with him. Uh but they're over there in the garden with him. We just had the Last Supper. They are all just got done hanging out for one last time. But I want to start with verse 6. And I want you to see what Jesus is praying for his disciples. And this may shock you, so we'll just kind of go through it slowly. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Out of the world. Those men that you have had me go through and say, come follow me, come follow me. Matthew, the tax collector, come follow me. Uh, Peter, the fisherman, come follow me. James and John, brothers, come follow me. Leave your families, leave your homes. Out of the world you have given me these men. And he says, uh, I, have, I have manifested or revealed your name to those men. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they received them and have known surely that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9. This is where it may surprise you a little bit. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's interesting, because we think, you know, Jesus loved everybody. Je you know, Jesus had compassion for everybody and loved everybody. He sure did. But in this specific prayer, he's saying, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you gave me. I'm praying for those 12 disciples that you assigned to my life. Verse 10, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He's saying, in what they're about to do, I'm going to receive glory. I'm going to be lifted up because of what I'm about to send them out to do. Verse 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. We know that's Judas who betrayed him. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled 
in themselves. I have given them your, wor- your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's interesting that he's now noting that his disciples, those 12 men, they're not of the world any longer. And that word of means origin. That means they didn't come from the world, just as I did not come from the world. He's already now uh, dividing them, if you will, and saying, here's the world, and here's these men. They are not of the world. They did not come from the world, just as I did not come from the world. Now look what he says in verse 15. I do not pray. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He's saying, I'm not praying that as I go to the cross, now you remove them from the world, which is what Christianity has preached for many, many, many years, is that Jesus came, died on a cross, took our sins so we could die and one day go to heaven and this whole world, and, and we've lost meaning for why we're here. We're lo- we've lost meaning for what are we supposed to be doing here. Uh, I'm saved. Why can't I just go to heaven? I guess I just have to wait till I get to heaven, and I have to put up with everything in the earth. And Jesus is saying about his disciples, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I'm not praying that you remove them from the situation. He says, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now look what he says here in verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that, also, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Here's where I kind of want to go. If you were to pick a theme or uh, uh, an area that I'm going to kind of try to stay in that God's kind of showing me for the next few weeks is sanctification. And that word sanctified, it literally means to set apart, to set apart for a specific use. Uh, How many of you women have maybe dishes in your house that you only use for certain occasions? Or uh, maybe maybe we have clothes that are set aside that we know... This is only for the good stuff. I don't wear these everywhere. We, we buy those. I remember I had those clothes as a kid. Uh, every summer we went school shopping, and I had clothes. These are only for school. Man, I got in so much trouble when I got green grass stains on my new jeans that were for school, or my new Nikes got all scuffed up, or whatever I had, because they were for school. They were to be set aside, set apart. That's literally what sanctified means. Some of you have sanctified dishes, and some of us have sanctified clothes. And uh, this goes even as far as even today's of the week. We have a day set aside that we attend church as a body. Uh, We have maybe sanctified times. This is my time of prayer, or this is my time uh, reading the Word. Maybe we have those set out of our uh, days. That's literally what sanctification means. And so what Jesus is saying here is, this is my prayer, my final prayer for these 12 men that you have brought alongside my life. I am not praying that you remove them from the world. 
I'm praying that you keep them in the world, but keep them from the evil one. Then he immediately goes and says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And kind of what, what I'm feeling uh, for this month of September is that I think there needs to be a sanctification. There's a setting apart. There's a separating of. Now, when we talk about separating, because uh, sancti- to sanctify or sanctification, it also means to separate or to dedicate to something. Okay? When we talk about separating, this is... The, the church it hasn't done a real good job of being balanced in some things. We're either way over here on, on some things or we're way over here. Um, we, have, we have churches today that are way over on this side when it comes to separating from the world that uh, they, they, they mean you have to be relevant. You have to be right in there with the world and you've got to be doing everything they're doing otherwise they're not going to understand you. I mean, they... That drug addict's not going to hear from me because I've never done drugs. Or, you know, that, that person, you know, they're having marriage troubles. I, I can't help them because, you know, I've never really had marriage problems. So we, we have this thought process in the church. But then we have the other side. We have the other side that is um, we literally separate. I mean, we all know there's people out there right now that claim Christianity or claim to be followers of Christ, and they have their own community. They have their own churches, and they pick and choose who's allowed in the church. They completely separate uh, to the point, I'm I'm not going to dress like you. I'm not going to hang around you. I'm not going to work jobs where you're at. And neither of those are right. And I feel that there's a call on this church and a call specifically on my life and for this area to bring balance to a lot of things. And I hope I've been able to do that in the past year that we've been here. I hope I've been able to balance. I know when we were uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, why did I have to take, uh, what was it, 15 weeks, I think it was, on talking about the, who the Holy Spirit is? Because that's one of the most unbalanced areas in the church today. There's so many people that are afraid of the Holy Ghost, don't know anything about the Holy Ghost. We know about God. We know about Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh... He's the third person of the Trinity. He's the Spirit. That's as far as we get. We don't know who the person of the Holy Spirit is. So we spend a lot of time, what, bringing balance to this thing. Here's this side. Here's this side. They're both wrong. Let's bring it in the middle and let's realize why why we have the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to separation, I just feel there's a a balance that needs to take place. Because here's what this church is not going to do. This church is not going to separate from the world and have nothing to do with them and, and, and not hang out with them. I'm not telling teenagers to quit going to public school and you don't need to be around you know, other kids that are doing drugs or you know, if they cuss and you don't need to have anything to do with them, you can't talk to them, you've got to shun them, give them the, the cold shoulder. And, and, and we all know Christianity's got a bad rap because of that. Oh, you're better than me. Oh, you got it all together. Oh, you can't hang out with me. And so we want to bring balance to this separation idea. Um, I was reading today about a uh, thing that babies go through. It's called separation anxiety. (laughs) I just went through this with my son. 
He is uh, 19 months. And let me just read you. I wrote down a few facts. They say up until about eight, uh, eight months, babies, don't, they don't really have any idea what's going on, really. Uh, obviously, babies are smart, and we know that. But up until about eight months, everything is life as normal. But at around eight months, eight to 14 months, they say, it falls in there. We know it's give and take. This is where babies begin to realize this is normal, this is not normal. And they begin to draw that line of usual, unusual, normal, abnormal. And, you know, just recently we traveled to Florida, uh, you know, I don't know, we go maybe on average once a month. Uh, my wife's family is all down there. We're still very strongly connected with the church there, obviously. And so we traveled down there quite a bit in Obviously, Camden goes with us, and uh, we got into this. For the first few months, it was easy, man. He's sleeping on the way down, no problem. It doesn't matter where we stayed at. He's falling asleep on beds. He's falling asleep in other people's cribs. He's falling asleep on the floor. But all of a sudden, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, we have some friends of ours, Josh and Danny. You guys, they were just up here. And we would stay with them every now and then. we stay with their parents sometimes and stay with them. And there was one day, we were down for the women's conference. So guess who's on duty for three days in a row while my wife is at this women's conference from 8 in the morning until, you know, 10, 11 at night doing their thing? I am. I get to watch them. No big deal. I got this. Well, that's when he decided to go through his phase of, wait a minute, I don't know where I'm at. You ain't, putting, you ain't setting me down on this soil. That's literally what it came down to. I mean, we're in, we're in uh, you know, my friend's house, and we're just hanging out. When we're at home, no problem. I'll literally walk out in and out of rooms, and he won't care. He'll just keep doing his thing. This time, however, in someone else's house, a place where he doesn't know where he is, it's abnormal, if I put him on the ground, if I'm up here and he's down there, we got a fight on our hands. I mean, he's screaming, he's kicking, he's thinking I'm going to leave him. I'm like, what are you doing? And I, you know, I was talking to someone about it, and they said, yeah, that's just separation anxiety. And it's just simply him defining this isn't normal, this isn't my normal surrounding, and he wants the closeness of me there. And he's thinking, if I put him down, if I left a room, oh, forget about it. He would literally just flop on the floor. I mean, doing stuff he never did. I'm like, this isn't even my kid. Who is, who is this? He's been great up until this point. Flopping on the ground, screaming, crying. I mean, I, I could hardly even move. It was horrible. There was one time my wife called me in between breaks or something, and he's screaming in the background. Because I walked around the corner to throw something in the trash. And he was on the ground. He was playing, looked up, and didn't see me. And just went berserk. I had to hang up on it. I said, I, I can't even hear a word you're saying. Bye. I had to go. It was crazy. What was that? It was separation anxiety. And so I kind of want to help us get through the separation anxiety. Now, I've, I've identified two different types of separation anxiety in the church the first is when we first become believers 
And when we first become Christians, you know, we're all about God. And everything is cool, just like an infant baby. Everything's great. And, and I mean, we're ready to put it all down. We're, we're thinking of all the junk that we hated doing before we came to Christ. And we're thinking, man, I'm so ready to put that down. I'm so glad this is going to be over with. And then we start finding that part of the Christian lifestyle where things are a little, hard, things are a little harder now as a Christian. Uh, now all of a sudden i got a bullseye on my back because the enemy realizes he's about to do something great for the kingdom. Uh, then we start realizing that maybe there's a little more discipline to the life of a believer than just saying a prayer and one day going to heaven. Now, you know, I need to be in the word. You know, I need to be, I need to have a prayer life. I need to be talking to my father. I need to be communicating with, with, with other fellow Christians. Um, you know, I, I need to be influencing other people around me, you know, uh, at, at work and stuff. I need to be sharing the gospel with them. And now this whole witnessing thing, I mean, I, how do you even talk about Jesus? I mean, I, I know what happened to me, but how do I communicate? There's all these different things that start to come in. And then we start running into that little bit of separation anxiety where we're thinking, eh, you know, that, that old life, it wasn't, wasn't that bad. You know, I mean, I wasn't like a horrible person. And so start, some of those things start to show up. It's like, you know, we, we start to lure back. But there's the other one. And I, I think we may end up going in this direction a little bit more. And that is when we become Christians and then we take on this life that we have maybe a little trouble separating from the church side of it. Now, I know that sounds weird. You mean we need to separate from church? Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I've seen some Christians do. I'm just going to demonstrate it. Because I've seen some Christians, in here, God is awesome. In here, all their problems are fixed. We come to church Sunday morning, Wednesday night, hanging out with other believers. Man, it doesn't matter what problem is in my life. When I'm at church, things are great. I know that I'm an overcomer. God is better God, devil, he's bigger, he's gonna, he can pound the devil. And then we do this. We, we, we get to the doorway to go back into the world. And we become a little, uh, hmm, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to, there's a lot of problems out there. My job, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that don't like me at my job. They might make fun of me. People at my schools or, you know, I, there's a really big bill out there that has to be paid, and I don't. And then I think we run into a little bit of separation anxiety on that end as well. And why do we need to be sanctified? Why is it so important to separate ourselves? Why is it important to be set apart? See, here's the thing that every believer is called to do. You are called to influence your world. And this is what we've been talking about in our purpose series. This is what we've been identifying is everybody has a purpose for their life. I don't think it is by chance. I did not plan it this way at all. But I do not believe that we just got out of the three series that we just did and go into this just by chance. We just talked about prayer. We just talked about, or we're still talking about our purpose identifying our purpose. And then we just talked about the champion, the disciplined life of a believer. 
things to sacrifice, things that we need to adhere to. With every athlete, there's two sides. There's things that they put down, and then there's things that they add to their life. It's not good enough for an athlete just to say, well, I'm not going to take any more sugar. They never work out. They never eat the right things. Never condition, never show up to practice. Hey, your coach approaches you. Hey, where you been? I haven't seen you at practice. Oh, no, I'm, I'm eating better. <laughs> okay, well, we got to be doing something in place of eating better. There's, there's a two-way two street to this thing. So when we're talking about sanctification and being set apart, why is it so important? What does that mean? How do I be separated from the world and still influence the world? And I've come to realize that you can't change the world until you set yourself apart from the world. I've realized this. Here's what I mean by set apart. Because I don't want us to think that I can't hang out with people that are unbelievers anymore. I can't talk to them. It's not what I'm saying. I believe the separation takes place in our mind. When Paul talked about being different than the world, he tied it with a renewal of the mind. He tied it with thinking differently. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Those of you that have been here for a while, you know this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Because it really just defines the life of the believer. And this is what we're talking about. He says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. That present means show, to, to bring to. We're presenting something in our bodies, our flesh. A living, what's that word? Sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world. That means do not look like the world. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. I honestly believe that if we thought different, you know, we did a whole series on that, Kingdom Might Renewal. I mean, that was, I don't know, another 10 or 12 weeks there. And that's what these Wednesday nights are, just to let you know. When I get in something on Wednesday night, man, we're going. Okay, God has got us in a vein right now to get us prepared for something, but that's usually where we're going. And so we talked about the renewal of the mind because, remember, we said I can't get you anywhere until I can get your mind there. I can't get you to do better with money until I can get you to think about money differently. I can't get you uh, healthier uh, in your body until I can get your mind thinking that God's word uh, says that he's made provision for health in my body. I got to get your mind there first. Anywhere you want to go in life, you have to get your mind there first. You got to think that way. You got to think differently. We all know this. If you want to be happier, think happier. If you if you want to uh, have a better marriage, think about your spouse. Think about your spouse differently. Think you have different thoughts. I love my wife. I love my husband. They're the greatest thing on the face of the planet. I 
wouldn't be able to do anything without them. They are my helpmate. They are my soulmate. We think differently, and we'll find our actions will follow that. Actions always follow how we think. So when, we're need, when we need to be separated, I believe it's in our minds. I believe that's where the separation takes place. Example, everybody at, jo- everybody at your job or at work is complaining about losing their job. I can fall in line with the world. Man, yeah, I know, man. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, mean, I got a wife and kids at, at the house. I mean, you know, I, I got to have the paycheck. I mean, if I don't have this, I don't know what I'm going to do. If they shut this place down, are we separated from the world? No. We're right in line with them. But a separated, but a set-apart person, a separated person says, you know what? God's my source. He knows everything I need. He knows everything I need before I even ask. He's my source. This is just my assignment. This is where he's placed me to influence people in my workplace. So, you know, God's got me covered. You know, if they end up shutting us down or, you know, if we end up losing our job, you know what, God will find me something else. But God will take care of me. That's a separated mindset. That's how we get set apart. That is how you are sanctified for his use. Notice that Jesus, he said, they need, the, the disciples, they need to be separated, sanctified for the ministry of truth. That's what he said back there in that John 17, that, that passage we just read. Sanctified for ministry. I need to be able to minister to people around me, but I've got to be set apart. I've got to be different than them if I'm going to change it. If I'm going to change my world around me, then I need to be different than the world around me. In my life, I haven't done a whole lot of horrible things. I, I don't have one of those great testimonies that, you know, I was on the verge of dying or, you know, you know I got plucked right out of hell. You know, I, I don't have that, man. I, I was raised in church. I had great parents that you know, follow God and wanted me to follow God and encouraged me to follow God. You know, I, I, I didn't have one of those testimonies. But I still realize that there's a separation that needs to take place if I'm going to be different than the world. I began to realize that even just in my mentality, I'm following God, I'm living for God, I'm, I'm doing what He wants me to do. But even just little things, that there were things that I wasn't separated in. That, you know, somebody else would complain about the boss. Complain about the boss, man. I say, yeah, man, he's an idiot. I don't, I don't know why we have him. <laughs> I'm not separated. I'm not sanctified. I'm not set apart for a good use. Instead of changing the situation and saying, you know what? We don't, we don't need to talk about our... our we don't need to talk about the boss like that. You know what? That We just need to adhere. You know, God's going to honor the work that we do just because we simply obey. You know, that would have been different. Instead of, man, this company, I remember we, the, the bank that I worked for down in Florida, man, it was, you know, they ended up getting bought out just a few years ago. And the whole company... From the day I got there, I worked for there. I worked there six years. The day I got there, they're talking about being bought out. That's like all we heard my entire 
my entire time at this bank. This branch is going to be shut down, and this place is going to be shut down. And people are losing their jobs. They shut down the mortgage side, and then they shut down the commercial side, and then we're, we're losing account. I mean, it's just garbage the whole time. And, you know, I wish I could say the whole time I was there helping people out, but, you know, for the first little while, I fell right in with everybody else, man. What are these people thinking? If I could fly up to South Carolina right now and talk to the president of this bank, you know, you just fall right into those conversations. Let me run this place, man. You know, I hope we get bought. I mean, you just have all kinds of weird conversations. And I begin to realize, man, I'm not helping anybody. These people, their lives could be different based upon what I have to give. See, the thing you got to understand, the reason why we're set apart is because we have something to offer to the world. We are the answer for the world. The church has all the answers. The church is the answer for the world, period. I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer that the church, the body of Christ in the earth, we can answer all the world's problems. If we got a Christian leader in office, if we got a Christian governor, if we got Christian bosses, if we, if we had that, I'm convinced of that. People that truly want to follow God, we know there are those that say they're Christians, the whole opposite lifestyle. We know that. But those that truly want to follow God and want to just hear his voice and just say, God, whatever you want to do with this, it's yours. You've just placed me here to work it on your behalf. It, things will change. I know this. That's why we need Christians voting. That's why we need Christians here in the next few months saying, you know what? I don't want to pick a person just because Fox News said this about them or CNN said that or the people at work are saying this about them. God, who, who needs to be in office for the next four years? Who is it, God? And place that trust and place that hope in God and literally pray about it. That's what I tell people now that are grumbling and complaining about the economy, grumbling and complaining about the government, grumbling and complaining about our political leaders. First thing I ask is, how have you prayed about it lately? Have we done as much prayer as we have complaining? Talk to God about it. He knows everything. <laughs> he, he's got all the answers. Let's talk to him about it. Let's find out what he's got to say about it. Raising our kids. God, I just can't seem to, to get this thing straightened out. I mean, they just keep to seem going, going down this path and making bad decisions. And God... You know, and, and what do we do? We moan and complain. They're never going to get it right. I can't believe they won't listen to me. What is their problem? And we do more of that than saying, God, what is it? Show me. So here's what we need to do. I think that to hear God's voice, we need to find ourselves separating from a different voice. I think we need to find ourselves not... see. Here's the thing that's interesting about Judas. We know Judas betrayed Jesus. Does anyone remember what he received in return for betraying Jesus? Money. 30 pieces of silver. If you remember, earlier in Jesus' ministry, a woman came into the house while Jesus was ministering and began to anoint his feet with oil, and this oil was very pricey. 
And the disciple, Judas, said, what in the world is she doing? That's an entire year's wages. He instantly noted it as being worth money. And what did Jesus have to say about money? He said, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot be, you cannot give yourself to both. So Judas ended up serving his God, money, and sold out Jesus to the people that were trying to kill him. What happened there? He had another voice that was talking in his life. He had something else. And so when it came time to make the right decision, he wasn't sanctified. He wasn't set apart. I mean, even Jesus said it in the prayer. He said, I haven't lost any of them except the one, the son of perdition, the the one that was lost because he destroyed himself. Why? Because he had two voices. And I believe that we're all, uh, for us as a church as a whole, this is where I know our church needs to go. But for us as individuals, I, I want this to minister to you. I want this, I want you to see that there may be a separation that needs to take place. If we're having issues with our kids, maybe we need to, maybe instead of, instead of saying, what do they need to do? Maybe we need to say, God, what do I need to do? Do I need to separate myself? Do I, do I need to take something out of my life so I can hear from you to better direct and guide them? Maybe we're having uh, trouble at the job or, or making decisions in, in a career area. And instead of giving ourselves to the voices that we usually allow ourselves, the, the pay, the location, what we're going to be doing, the hours we're going to be working, maybe we need to set ourselves apart from something and say, God, I need your help in making this decision. I need your help in knowing I can tell you right now, as a church, we're you know wrapping up our first year, and this is my position as the pastor and leader of this church is, God, I want to hear from you. And so I've begun to shut some things down in my life. For this entire month, I won't be on, on Facebook and, and Twitter. I'm shutting some voices out because I need to clearly hear from God. Here's one thing that I will never do. I never put what, what is on me on anybody else. I never do that. I'm not here to say as a church we're shutting down social media. As a church we're t- turning the TVs off. I'm not saying that at all. I remember as a teenager when I first participated in, in my first fast. The first thing I remember ever giving up was Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I said, God, I don't know if I can give up food, man, but I'll give you, some, I'll give you Dr. Pepper. Man, I was a Dr. Pepper freak. I'm still a Dr. Pepper freak. Man, I told God for this, I remember our church was doing something, and as a teenager, man, 16, 17 years old, I told God, I'm going to put that down for this entire length of time. I remember another time I put down listening to music. I said, I won't listen to anything that doesn't glorify and honor you. I don't care what type of music it was. I, I didn't listen to horrible music, but I definitely had some playlists that weren't honoring him. And I said, if it doesn't honor you and glorify you, I'm not going to listen to it for this amount of time. And so there was a separation that took place. Why? Because any time you need to get closer to God, see, Jesus knew there's a major assignment on these 12 men's lives. 
11 at this time. There's a major. Peter, James, John, Matthew. I mean, these are guys that we know in the next book over in the book of Acts did some did the exact same thing Jesus did. And Jesus knew, I did not just spend three years of my life with these guys, invest and pour into them, spend every waking moment with them to see them all run away and do nothing that I know that they can do. I'll tell you that right now. Jesus was not thinking that. Jesus was not saying well, God, just, just yank them out of the world. He didn't say that. He said, I, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. But then he said, sanctify them. Set them apart by your word. There's a separation. Uh, last year in the fall, I did a message called Separated. And we t- I talked about the division. We always think about Jesus as bringing peace, bringing harmony and Let's all come together. But Jesus actually said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. I came to divide between those that are mine and those that aren't. In fact, the word, the Greek word for the church, the word C-H-U-R-C-H, the Greek word is ecclesia, and that word literally means called out ones, separated, set apart. I am not telling you, that we're not supposed to be in this world and we're just waiting for Jesus to come back and until then, uh, you know, we don't have anything to do with anybody else. I am saying that in our own lives and in our minds, we need to separate ourselves, set ourselves apart so when we go into those situations, we're able to change them, influence people, affect them. That's what we're being called to. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 6. It's the last verse I have. And I know this doesn't really seem like it's very well put together. I wish it did. But I'm just kind of talking from my heart, and I hope that's all right. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> start with verse 11. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. My heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. See, I I wish I could live your lives daily with you. I wish I could be there and say, hey, remember what we talked about on Sunday? I wish I could be there and say, remember last night what we talked about? In fact, uh, for our purpose series, I have some cards that I made up over here that have those four statements, the greatest tragedy, the greatest failure. You need to go grab one. Go grab a couple. They need to be on your dashboard. They need to be on your mirror at home. They need to be on your computer at work. Put them there and remind yourself daily, I have a purpose for my life. God has made me something. He has placed something inside of me. You need to go grab some of those cards. Hand them out to other people that are struggling with, why am I here? Struggling with, what am I supposed to be doing? Struggling with, who am I? Where did I come from? What does God want me to do? What is this life all about? Grab those cards and hand them out to people. That's another way that you can keep it in front of you. I I can't go to work with you. I can't go to your house with you tonight, and I I can't wake up tomorrow morning with you. But we can do things like that. We've got the messages online. You're taking notes and, and going back over those notes. You can do that all week long, and that allows that word to be in front of you. And Paul is saying here, 
You're not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Now look what he says. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? See, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Did you know light and darkness have nothing in common? I mean, if you want to talk about polar opposites, light and dark. Let's go back to, go back to elementary. Hot, cold, light, dark, far, near, up, down. Light and dark, that is the basic, that's as opposite as you can get. In fact, darkness never overcomes the light. Darkness never wins. If you put the light on, you can't get it so dark that the light won't pierce through the darkness. That's awesome. He's called us to be that light in a dark world, and we know it's getting darker. This world's getting darker, which only makes us brighter. I can go out in the sunlight with my phone and hold it up. It's going to do so much, but if I go into a dark room, it's going to do a lot. The darker it gets, the lighter we should be getting. He says, what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial or with Satan? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And these are verses that we've looked at. We've seen these as Christians and we think that means I can't be around them. I can't hang out with them. I can't invite them to church. They just got to somehow get it on their own. That doesn't make any sense. You notice all these things are changed by the former. The darkness is changed by the light. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now look what verse 17 says. Therefore, come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, once again, we're seeing that there is a separation that needs to take place. And this is in your mind. Unequally yoked. That word yoke refers to... Uh, back in the Bible days, they would place this thing around an ox's neck. They would have to plow up the ground, and the top of the ground would get hard, and the soft ground's underneath, so they would need a plow. And they obviously didn't have tractors like we have today, so they would use the strongest beast possible, and that was the ox. But they would place this yoke around the ox's neck because that's a very strong beast, and if you don't know what you're doing, it will control you instead of you controlling it. So at a very young age, they would place this yoke around the neck and they would be able to control the ox as it grew up and only knew to do whatever that yoke told it to. So he's saying, don't be controlled 
by what other people are controlled by. You got people at work that are cussing all the time and drinking all the time and talking about women all the time. You don't have to be controlled by that. You can go into the situation as light into darkness and change it. Don't be unequally yoked. Uh, don't, uh, what, what communion does, one, does a believer have with an unbeliever? These are very definitive. I'm not spending time. I don't have to go to the bars to reach a bunch of people for Jesus. What were you doing at the bar last night, Pastor Mark? I was preaching. You know, and I guzzled down a few so they knew I was one of them. You know, I want them to hear me. I want them to be relevant. It don't work like that. Why? Because now the thing that's controlling them is going to end up controlling me. But yet, can I still have an influence on them? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I get around someone like that, I'm going to have some influence. And I don't have to ever have drank a beer in my life. I don't even have to know what it tastes like. Jesus didn't have a tattoo, didn't sleep around, didn't drink alcohol or do drugs, and he was able to minister to anybody that came around him. Well, Jesus, you don't know my situation. I don't have to know your situation. I just know the truth. You know, I mean, we, we used to deal with that all the time with teenagers and still, still do. Well, i got to get a tattoo. I mean, you know, i got to look like I want to be relevant. No, you don't. You don't have to. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it. Don't, under, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that at all. But for that purpose, no. I mean, I had teenagers tell me that once. I said, show me in the Bible where it says Jesus did. Show me in the Bible where Jesus did anything. He didn't fornicate. He didn't, uh, you know, commit adultery. Yet he was able to minister to an adulterous woman. You know, I've even heard people say, you know, God had me go through this so I could help minister to other people that deal with the same thing. That's not why he had you go through it. Are you able to answer someone's questions? Sure. I had cancer and God set me free so I can help you because you have cancer. But he didn't put cancer on my body because he knew one day I was going to come into contact with someone who had cancer and now they can, now we're one. Now I'm able to sympathize with them. Now I'm able, they understand me, they get me. I mean, there's a, I, I want to say, I think it was here in town. It might have been somewhere else, but I saw it on the side of a van that was a, a cancer network where other people that have had cancer or are going through it, you know, can all come together. And I understand the purpose of that thing, but to get in there and say, God had me go through this so I could help out people with the same issue, that's just not a true statement. God wants us to be separated. God wants us to be set apart. You know, you know what I'm able to do for someone who has cancer? God has kept me from that. God has shown me healing in my body. God has shown me that he will take care. If he'll take care of my flu, he will take care of your cancer. If he'll take care of my everyday cold, is anything too big for God? Is anything too impossible? Absolutely not. Well, you know, my, I raised a bunch of kids, you know, and they were just hellions. And so now I can help other people that have kids that are always doing trouble. <laughs> no, he, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. God wants us to be separate. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be called out. 
And so this is what I got Sunday morning in prayer. And I'm not asking for anything extreme. I'm not going to list for you all the things in my life that God has spoken to me and said, this is what you need to do for September. I'm not going to do that. But I think that in our lives, if we want to get to greatness, if we want to see, maybe there's something right now you're believing for. Maybe there's something right now that you want straightened up in your life. Maybe it's your kids, or maybe uh, it's finances, or maybe... Um, it's just a better marriage. Or maybe, you know, God, I've really got some questions about my job. You know, may, maybe I need to look for another job. Instead of going to everything naturally, I think he's wanting us to to separate. And, and, and I think he's wanting to identify, maybe we don't need to do this for the, for the rest of the month. Spend that time in my word or in prayer. And I think we'll get those answers. There's some things right now in, in my life individually for my wife and I that we're believing for and we're trying to press through. And I know this is the answer. And we'll come out on the other end with greater direction. Why? Because I shut a voice out. This thing's not talking to me anymore. I'm not letting this thing guide me. I'm not letting this thing direct me anymore. I'm only wanting to hear from God. God, I want to hear clearly from you. What is it? What is it for you? It's two-sided. Well, you know, I'm just—I'm not going to watch the—I'm not going to watch the news for the rest of the month. So, what are you going to do in place of that? Well, I'm going to watch more football. <laughs> that ain't going to cut it. <laughs> God's wanting us to get in His Word. He's wanting us to take that time. You know, I, I had a, a, a teacher in um, in Bible school. I said that he was very diligent, and I, I'm not even here, but he's very diligent. If he spent time, you know, doing something like that, watching a football game, say he saw a movie for three hours, he was very diligent to, to make up that time with God, and he'd spend three hours in the Word or in prayer. And that's very disciplined. That's very diligent. I'm not calling anyone to do anything extreme. I'm not calling a, a, a fruit and vegetable fast. We're not there yet. <laughs> I've done that. For me, it was all vegetables because I don't eat fruit. So I was really, I was doing worse than everybody else, man. I had to go get some smoothies. <laughs> I, I probably had a Smoothie King smoothie every day. That was an expensive fast for me. But anyways, uh, I, I've, I've done those things where God has said, separate yourself. Set this aside. I, I've set aside desires. I've set aside TV. I, I've set aside going to the movies. I've set aside media. Um, I've set aside things that were voices in my life. I don't know about you, but food will start talking to you after you put it down a couple times. You you might be all right with breakfast, lunch. Yeah, you know, I got this. Dinner rolls around. I mean, I don't know how they, I don't know how Jesus went on no fast for 40 days in the wilderness with nothing. Uh, Maybe that's, maybe I'm going to work my way up to that. I don't know. Right now, I get to dinner time on the first day, and I'm thinking, all right, maybe this is the one meal a day fast. And I've done those, too. I've done the one meal a day. Okay, we'll do one meal a day for however many days. Whatever God tells you to do. Is fasting just God's way of dieting? No. It's his way of getting closer to you. You'll be amazed 
at how clearly you can hear God when you start putting things down that your flesh wants. You'll be amazed. I really want to put that show on right now, but you know what? I'm not. You'll be amazed at how much he'll start talking. You know, we've gotten into this thing in church that the only time we experience God is here. And I just don't believe that's that's supposed to be the lifestyle of the believer. I believe that we're supposed to be experiencing God on a daily basis. I want you to experience God tomorrow at work. I want you to experience God in the car. I want you to experience God at Walmart. I want you to have a moment with God, uh, you know, when you're getting on to your kids. God, I know there's a reason. (laughs) I want you to have an experience, not just here. I don't want us getting to that door thinking, man, the world's got so many problems. I don't got that separation anxiety. We turn around and we look up at God. No, pick me up. I can't do it. Don't do like my son, please. I tell you, it's aggravating. Those of you that are parents and you've already been through that, you know. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And I think a lot of times God is saying that. I am right here. I wasn't just there at church. I wasn't just there when you were singing praise and worship songs and telling me how awesome I was. I wasn't just there when the pastor was telling you that the devil's small and you can whoop him. I wasn't just there in those moments. I'm here right now. When you look at your bank account and it's not there, I'm still here. When your kids are acting like a fool, I'm still here. When, when, when you don't know what you're going to do about your job, I'm still here. I think that's what he wants. But we've got to get into setting some stuff aside and, and getting... Here's what it's all about. It's shutting down the natural so you can pay more attention to the spiritual. That's what it's all about. And I think we'll start to receive more direction. I think we'll start to receive more clarity. I'm just talking everyday decisions. I'm not Fasting doesn't make you more spiritual. Fasting doesn't make you more holy. doesn't make you more of a Christian. I'm going to get a better seat in heaven because... I put down veggies for a month. It's not, it doesn't work that way. It gets you closer to God. So when those everyday decisions come, it's easier to hear. Easier to hear. And, I just, and also, you know, for October 7th, I just want us to be in preparation for what Pastor Earl and, and Pastor Marcus, what they have to bring, Pastor Marcy, when they come to minister on that morning, I want us to be in preparation. I want you to do everything you have to to get here. If you got to take off work, uh, if you got to uh, come in before work, I don't care what has to happen. You need to be here that service. And I want you to be prepared. I want you in anticipation. I want you sitting on the edge of your seat that morning saying, God, I just spent all morning, all, all month getting closer to you. What do you have to say to me? And I can promise you it will impact your life that much more. Those that will take this month and set aside I'm telling you, that October 7th, there's no telling what will happen. There's no telling what kind of direction, what kind of clarity that's going to come if you'll do that. Whatever it is, whatever God's speaking to you. And I think that we'll see us as a church go to the next level. I I know that we're right on the verge of some stuff. I can feel it. Um, If I could share everything, I would, but I can't. The Holy Spirit hasn't allowed me to. But there's some exciting stuff that he's preparing us for, and I want us to be ready. I want us to be ready. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you that as a church body, as a unified corporate group, Father, that we'll take this in, that we'll 
fully understand and comprehend uh, what it is to be set aside for your work, Father. You want to minister to us because you want to use us to minister to others, Father. We're not here just running circles. We're not here just trying to figure this thing out. You want us to live life with clarity. You want us to wake up every morning knowing I I may not have all the answers, but the one who does isn't far from me. Uh, We don't need to feel like we have to scream and and cry and moan to get your attention. We just need to say, hey, Father, hey, I I don't know what to do in this situation. What, What should I do here? And be confident that we'll get the answer. But Father, I thank you that as a church body that we'll take this to heart, that we'll find ourselves being diligent about this, and that when September 30th comes, that we'll be in a, a stronger place because we can look back at the previous 25 days and say, I just set myself aside. I just put that down for 25 days. Every time it screamed at me, every time it told me to pick it up, or every time it told me to turn it on, I, I, I stopped and I said, no, there's something I need to hear from God. I'm going to put that down. And Father, you're going to speak to us. You're going to show us things that we never thought we'd be able to see. Father, I'm excited about it, and I know these people are, and so I thank you that you're going to bless us over this next month in enlightening and showing us your word more clearer than we've ever seen it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.